Yeah, well, it was funny because people would call and be like, so do you have, you know, consulting packages? And I'd be like, yes, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's always kind of the, the, the apprehension around going after a particular niche is that you're kind of worried that you'll be pigeonholed on something small for the rest of your life or something like that. And um, with user onboarding, it was something where once I once I dove into it, I, I just was just like, oh, wow, there's this this vast unexplored expanse here for one thing. And then the other thing is I wound up getting to work with some really, really cool companies and I never would have been on their radar if it weren't for that. That's my guest Samuel Hillock talking about his experience with focusing on a very narrow niche, the niche of user onboarding. Samuel's story was very interesting to me for a number of reasons. He really embraced constraints uh, in his marketing and, and managed to keep it simple in a way that uh, I, I don't see a lot of people do. And I thought that was just really fascinating and inspiring. Turns out <laughs> when he was uh, writing his book, he had a rather limited runway that was paved uh, with a credit card. And I was just impressed with the courage that it takes to um, to do a project under those circumstances. Even under the, the best of circumstances, it can be very difficult to pull off a successful book. And Samuel did it with even more pressure and constraints than a lot of us face. And finally, uh, he really, his story really is a great example of having to do a little bit of work to find the right language to talk about what you do. And, and the right language is language that makes your, your, that your client immediately recognizes and, and sees the value and, and immediately understands what it means. And in positioning, a lot of us get hung up on, you know, how we label ourselves and what discipline do we practice and what, what exact label do we use for that? And the answer can almost always be found by just asking your, <laughs> asking your clients and customers. And uh, essentially, Samuel did that. And, and so I think his story is a great example of, of how that works. I'm Philip Morgan, and this is the Consulting Pipeline podcast, where we talk about building your consulting pipeline through positioning, education-based content marketing, and marketing automation. So Samuel, who are you and what do you do? I am a user experience designer and consultant, and I focus specifically on the user onboarding part of the user experience, and I run a site called User Onboard, and I also wrote a book on the topic. Cool. When did, when did your book come out? It was released in March. Uh, I self-published it at the end of March 2014. Okay. So in terms of kind of understanding the timeline of where you are in your, your career, when did you get started working for yourself? What did you do? Um, can you kind of wind things back to that point in your career? Sure. So it was about 10 years ago that I uh, started into, I guess, what you would just call like the software world. I actually initially hung out my shingle as a developer and wound up kind of uh, inheriting designs uh -huh. in this sort of waterfall approach that I really just didn't think were going to serve the user. Okay. And I would bring that up and be like, you know, I don't think this is going to serve the people who are using your site, which means it's also not really going to serve your business. And I would recommend doing X, Y, and Z differently. And and at that point, it was, you know, basically, well, our, our time and budget have both been exhausted. So we're just going to roll with this PSD. And if you can 
basically make this Photoshop file clickable, then that's all we need. Right. And so, um, sorry, did you say something? I, I said, right. Yeah. It sounds like you were, you were just kind of being asked to implement. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh-huh. and implementing things that I just didn't really fully believe in. So I kind of had to like grit my teeth and just code them up and, you know, collect a check or whatever that might be. And so I would initially was doing that independently as mm-hmm. a consult or as a contractor mm-hmm. and wound up going in-house at a creative agency and was able to transition to a user experience lead role there, which was uh, a lot more satisfying. How, how long were you kind of in the trenches doing that, that sort of basic level of implementation work? I would say about three years, somewhere around there. Okay. Mm, two or three years. Uh-huh. So what was the, I mean, what was the next move for you when you, you were, it sounds like you're pretty dissatisfied with the limitations of that. What, what happened next? Yeah. So I went in-house at, at a creative agency and was able to transition to a, to a UX role there. And that was, you know, kind of this moment of flourishing. And I was really able to, to take a, a lot of the, the tools out of the toolbox that I hadn't had the opportunity to before. Um, and then kind of reached a point where we were still working on, on one-off projects or like what you would call brand engagement or like digital experiences, right. like, uh, like, like a, a digital installation for Nike or something along those lines. Okay. And they were things that had, you know, a fixed deadline and then they would just, we would, we would do our best work and then release it and then not really have an opportunity to find out how things turned out necessarily from a usage standpoint. And so I, I wound up getting to a point where this question popped up in my mind and I just couldn't really shake it, which was, how do I know I'm getting better as a designer as mm. opposed to just getting better at convincing people to, to, to take my advice or whatever that might be. And for that reason, I really wanted to switch to something that was more SaaS or software-like and less mm-hmm. creative, quote unquote, right. uh, so that I could just go after one problem in an iterative fashion and, and really pay attention to, is this something that's actually serving the people who are using it? Is this something that I'm actually making better, or am I just kind of implementing advice that I've heard from other people blindly? Oh, interesting. So, how how long did it take you to actually do something with that? You know, that desire. Yeah. So, so that that was another career change. I wound up leaving that digital agency and went to uh, the to a software company to work there as a customer success lead. Was the huh. was my title there, and so a lot of that wound up being interestingly to really go after a, a solid user experience, it actually didn't involve as much design as I thought it was going to. And it was a lot more just hands-on watching people as they sign up. Do they do the most basic things that have to happen in order for them to receive value out of the product? Uh, things along those lines. And just really kind of nurturing them along in a in a white glove, hand-holding kind of way as opposed to um, strictly operating from a design standpoint. I see. Uh, I'm, what does that term white glove mean? I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, I just mean like, you know, it, like a concierge kind oh, of thing. Oh, okay. Like, I see. Got it. So, okay. Um, so it sounds like that's where you started maybe to, to have this focus, this, this current focus on user onboarding. It did. So, it, it certainly opened my eyes to the importance of it. And also just looking at it from a, from a, I guess what you might call a design agnostic standpoint, where at the end of the day, it's not really about falling in love with a tooltip tour or wizards or whatever that might be. It's really about getting people to transition to to a better lifestyle with your product uh, as the as the vehicle for that. Interesting. So 
what happened next? <laughs> what was the next uh, stop on this this journey? Yeah, so uh, yeah, this is turning out to be a longer longer answer than I than I meant set out to give. Um, I then was I had the opportunity to be a marketing apprentice for, with someone that I really respect, and uh, that was always an area of my of my uh, lack of experience, I guess you could say, from coming from a UX world or the development world, marketing was always really uh, a muscle that I hadn't really worked too too well. And and I took on this three-month apprenticeship, which which meant I had to leave the position that I was at at the software company. And at the end of it, I was I was kind of looking at my skill set, and I've always really wanted to bring a product to market on, on my own, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in the software realm. And was like, well, I have the design and the development skills and now the marketing experience. This is something that I can do. And it was really a question of, do I want to dive right into SaaS, basically, mm-hmm. and and get that up and running? Or should I sort of test the waters and my own skills by by writing up in, uh, a book and self-publishing that and using that as, as kind of my first um, non-contractor entrepreneurial effort? Interesting. Why did you choose a book? Well, at, at the at the time, I thought that it was going to be really easy. I could just kind of, I was like, oh, it's basically like a long blog post. Like I can just pound that out, and and you know, it it it, it it's definitely much more constrained of of an enterprise than than software is, and it's something where you can it's actually like finished at some point, and you don't need a team to help you build it or maintain it, and there isn't customer support for it, and in a lot of ways, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a a tidier kind of uh, product to to work on, right? And f- to my mind, you know, at that time I had absolutely like no audience whatsoever, uh, no re- name recognition or anything like that. And so, from my standpoint, I was like, you know, I if I if I if I'm going to get my rookie mistakes out, I might as well do it on something quote unquote small. And so, you know, just learning how to build an audience, how to price something, how to launch something, I thought this would be kind of like my practice effort in that way. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've had a similar experience with my book where it, uh, it felt safe to start there somehow. Yeah. So uh, were you, so were, I mean, were you basically, uh, forgive me for saying this, unemployed during the time you were writing your book or were you doing other work or how did that all fit together? Yeah, so so the apprenticeship lasted three months, and there was like a little bit of a of a payment that uh-huh. came with that, but it was uh-huh. like, you know, certainly not going to be like match our, our monthly budget. I have a, a wife and a son, so uh-huh. we, you know, I'm the 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 sole breadwinner for the family as of this moment, and or was at that time too, and um, yeah, so it was really something where we were looking at our what we had in the bank uh-huh. and what we could rack up on credit cards. And, um, it was just something where, where I said, okay, I can either go and get another job or I can pick up some contracting work in, you know, doing user experience design or something along those lines, or we can kind of, you know, take the next couple months and, and just see how far I can get and, and kind of hope that things are looking a lot brighter on the other side. Wow. So are, are you normally a big risk taker or was, was this maybe the biggest risk you've taken thus far in your career? You know, it's funny. I, I, looking back on it, it sounds like it was pretty, pretty risky, yeah. um, but it didn't feel like it at the time. It just, it, it felt riskier to just kind of play it safe and, and wind up having like this, uh, 
life that wasn't super fulfilling at the end of the day. Interesting. Wow. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the, you know, going into it, it, it didn't feel terrifying? You, I, you know, it's, it's honestly hard to speculate on that in retrospect. It was something where, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to glorify it in any way. It, yeah. it was definitely something where we, we were really going to be pretty much broke if we, if, yeah. the, if the launch of the book didn't go well. And right. so uh, for whatever reason, I don't remember it being a very scary thing. Um, I guess I, I guess I kind of think of myself as being a good bet, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, in retrospect, it was, it was definitely rolling the dice for sure. Did you have to examine a lot of topics for your, your book idea or was that just obvious to you that you needed to write this book? Well, yeah, it's funny. I, what I, what I set out to do, and like when I mentioned before that I had no audience, like I really had absolutely, I had like 500 Twitter followers who were basically just like my friends and that Uh was pretty much it. I didn't have an email list or anything along those lines. Okay. And I initially was going to write the book on, on this very abstract philosophical concept. Um, and I was going to title it customer growth. And it was the idea of having your customers grow as people and finding the growth of your company through this shared success of your customer base. Uh. And it, when people would ask like, well, are you writing a book or whatever? I would, it would have to, I would take like five minutes to even just explain like the basic concept of the book. Right. And, um, but I was like, all right, well, I'm going to put up a landing page and, you know, create like one of those fake book covers that has the name of it on it and <laughs> right. see if I can get people to sign up for it. And, you know, I was able to get, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 people to sign up for the email list. Um, and, and I just realized that, that, writing it on this obscure topic was just not going to really be a successful play. And there was no one out there who was just like, you know what we really need is, is more information on this thing that nobody knows exists. <laughs> right. And, um, and so I was like, well, I'm just gonna, if I wind up selling it to five people, then that's what it, that's what it will be. But you know, I'm just, I'm going, I'm fully committed to, to bringing this, this book to the world. And I needed to figure out ways to drive traffic to the landing page that I created. And I'm a really painfully slow writer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people kind of like the general recommendations were to like write guest blog posts and use those like so that hopefully people would click on your byline and then go through and, you know, sign up for your 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 email list or whatever that might be. Right. And I was just like, that's even more writing on top of it. And it sounds like that's really kind of an iffy strategy. And I, uh, at, the, at, at the time, I was doing some very, very light uh, consulting with companies from, mm-hmm. a, from a user experience standpoint. And one thing that I would do is go through their a workflow screen by screen and take screenshots of them mm-hmm. and then mark them up with annotations on like, I would change this button copy to this other thing, or I would make this element more prominent or whatever that might be. Right. And it was just one day I was sitting at my computer and, and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to try to write a guest blog post so that someone that hopefully I'll get a couple more people to sign up for my email list. And the, uh, one of those marked up annotated, uh, screenshot, series things was mm-hmm. sitting on my desktop and I was like, oh man, it would be really cool if instead of writing the guest post, I just shared this with people because mm-hmm. it's just sitting here and it's ready to go. And I think people might find it interesting. And 
I realized also at the same time that that would be a really crappy thing for me to do because that was uh, commissioned by someone else. And, (laughs) you know, they, they had not given me the, 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 uh, the go ahead to share that with the world. Right. And so I was like, well, too much, so bad for, or too much, so much for that idea. And then I was like, but there are literally thousands of companies who have not paid me to do one of these. I could just do one for free and do whatever I want with it and share it with the world. And so that was um, how the first teardown came to be. Mm-hmm. And now I have a site that uh, that features them really prominently. So a um, couple questions. Uh, can you kind of, for my benefit, put in context uh, user onboarding versus the discipline of user experience? Uh, I mean, I, I know it's a subset of user experience, but, you know, how do those two relate together? Sure. Um, yeah, actually, I realized I, I didn't fully answer your question regarding how the book came to be. Um, so I put the the initial teardown out. I'll try to answer both of those questions in, in one go here. Cool. Um, I put the the initial slideshow. It was for a company called Less Accounting, and I, I had just picked them because they just seemed like it was really pretty much just throwing darts at a map. And, yeah. I, you know, I wanted to pick a company or software that I hadn't already experienced before, so I wouldn't have that bias ahead of time. Right. Um, so I just picked them at random and put it up on SlideShare and went to bed. It was I, I posted it late at night. And the next morning I woke up and there was an email from one of the founders of the company of Less Accounting. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I was, I was really pretty sure that it was going to be like, hey, thanks a lot for airing our dirty laundry without asking our permission first. You, you know, our lawyers will be in touch with you or something along those lines. Right. And, I really trepidatiously clicked the the email and to open it up in Gmail and it wound up being it could not have been more opposite than that that they were like thank you so much we saw you did this thing uh we've already made some of the changes that you recommended it looks like you're writing a book how can we help feature that on our blog and so on and so forth and oh, wow it was this really really amazing reception and I uh it wound up becoming a pretty popular piece and I was like oh I could just do this all the time. And so I started doing another one for Basecamp and so on and so forth. And I realized that when people were talking about it, they were describing the workflow that I had picked as user onboarding. Um, and that was really like the 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 term that that struck a nerve. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, so this customer growth book that I'm writing should really be a user onboarding book. And that was really the 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 genesis of of me lasering in on the user onboarding niche. Oh, interesting. Um, and then, so to, and then, so to your other question regarding w- what user onboarding is versus user experience design, I would say that user onboarding, in in lay terms, is essentially how you get started using a, a product. So, um, if you're new to Snapchat, what is it like to to go kind of from zero to sixty and, and getting started with it and and uh, incorporating it into your life? Right. So was it a struggle to give up that original book idea or it was the response so overwhelming that it wasn't that hard? Yeah, it was actually a total relief because I was like, finally, I can I can use a phrase to describe the, the topic of the book. And in a lot of ways, I still was going to write the same material. Uh-huh. I, have a, I have a good friend who uses an, a, a metaphor of like having a, a fully packed suitcase without a handle and how that it's just not very useful. Uh-huh. And then as soon as you attach a handle to it, it's it's suddenly very useful. And so uh, I felt like the suitcase was really packed, quote unquote. Right. Um, but the user onboarding 
uh, uh, title yeah. was kind of the handle that that made it really accessible to people. Oh, that's interesting. How long did it take you to write your book? Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, I, before when I was saying like, oh, it's this constrained, you know, tidy product that uh -huh. I could just write like a long blog post. Like that was what I thought going into it. Right. And it almost immediately became very clear that it was a much more substantial undertaking than I thought it was going to be. And so I, uh, I yeah, it, I gave myself two months to write it with a buffer month for ramping up the promotion of it and things along those lines. Mm -hmm. And I wound up like I was still making edits to it the the morning of the launch. Um, <laughs> it, it, it really totally overran my, my expectations in that regard. But but you it sounds like you uh, hit your original launch date. Uh, yeah, well, I did stick to the stick to the original launch date. Yeah, got it. Okay, that's kind of important when you're launching to a list and you've announced a date, right? Yeah, well, and it was also something where I didn't actually announce the date publicly ahead of time. Ah. For one thing, I wanted to really make sure that there was enough interest in the user onboarding topic. So I actually held off on writing the book at all until I had built my email list up to something significant enough where I was like. Okay, this is going to be the 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 topic that I go after. I can we talk about that a little bit? That that's something that comes up for people when they're choosing a niche, not just you know creating a product, but actually trying to find an, a niche for their services or or identify one that they can serve. How did you know you, it was enough people? At the time, I think I picked it pretty arbitrarily. It was either okay. three thousand or five thousand, and I was uh -huh. like, if I can cross that threshold, then I know there's going to be an audience for this particular subject. And uh -huh. uh, once I, once I passed that, then it was just kind of off to the races. And that's when the, the three months that I gave myself to, to uh, write and publish it start kicked off. So those list signups came from the teardowns you were publishing. Was there any other major source of interest in your book? That was definitely the, the, the teardowns were the, were the things that, that were definitely the most reliable okay. uh, sources of, of traffic and signups. Um, I also had made a, 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 a Mario graphic um, that sort of is discussing what companies exist for. I don't uh -huh. know if, this, if that sounds familiar at all, um, but that kind of uh, got pretty popular and was shared a lot. And I, I imagine that brought some traffic, but it was definitely the teardowns that were mostly the thing. Okay. Interesting. So after the book was published, uh, what happened? So the launch went okay. Um, it didn't go it didn't go as well as I was really hoping it would, but mm -hmm. it was definitely something where like we were not financially host, which was a relief. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean it was really funny. Like we we uh, got I got into an accident. Um, somebody somebody ran their car into mine uh. and totaled it. And uh -huh. so during the writing of the book and like we were really stretched thin and pretty much just calculating like what is what's the limit of what we can rack up on our credit cards in order to to make it out on the other side of this. Oh, wow. And I was like, man, this is such bad timing with the with the car being totaled and things like that. Yeah. And it wound up actually ironically buying us another month because uh, of the payout that we got for the car. And so um, it was really something where we were very much stretched thin and it was down to like 
you know, the car insurance money coming in in order to to make it through. And um, so the lunch went well enough where I was able to pay off the illustrator I had hired for the book and, you know, kind of pay off, pay down our credit cards that we had, we had racked up during that time and come away with it with like, you know, a decent amount of money. But it was really something where having found that the teardowns were working so well from an audience building standpoint, I was even more committed to just continuing to, to build that out and, and focus much more on, on continuous book sales than just like launching it and then moving on to something else. Okay. So, I mean, after that launch, what, um, as a uh, author myself, <laughs> as a, as a first time author myself, I'm curious, what did you do to sort of sustain or keep the book sales coming in after the launch? I mean, I, I I wish I had some novel marketing mm-hmm. uh, recommendations to make, but honestly, it was just continuing to put out teardowns, and you know, it's kind of kind of like a clockwork thing where a new teardown comes out, people share it, people sign up for the email list, and there's just kind of a snowball effect that way, and and you know, a, a percentage of the people who who enjoy the teardowns uh, wind up buying the book. Nice. Okay. So, when did you get your first uh, you know consulting gig or or contractor? Uh, gig as so as a specialist in this in this area. Uh, w- pretty shortly after the initial, the I mean, because the first teardown was less accounting, and then after that was Basecamp. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the I mean, really, it was it was right after right after those came out that suddenly there there were people who were just kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, you know, this is this is a known problem for us with our software. And we've been really wanting someone to take a look at it. It looks like you are kind of planting your flag here. So let's see if we can work together. Um, it was very, very quick right after right after it started. That's awesome. Was that intimidating <laughs> to say, well, I've been doing this for, you know, less than 50 years. <laughs> now yeah. these people are asking for help. But what was that like? Yeah, well, it was funny because people would call and be like, so do you have, you know, consulting packages? And I'd be like, yes, sure. <laughs> and, you know, like I have them, these, these that I just made up just now. And so uh-huh. it was very much something that I was, I was seeing it as, as an opportunity and, and just, you know, needed to kind of come up with some formalization of it on the fly. Interesting. Okay. So was there any point along the way when you said, when you just felt like you'd made a mistake or you'd picked a wrong niche or, you know, gone down the wrong way, anything like that happen? Yeah. Well, and that's, that's always kind of the, the, the apprehension around going after a particular niche is that you're kind of worried that you'll be pigeonholed on something small for the rest of your life or something like that. Right. And, um, with user onboarding, it was something where once I, once I dove into it, I, I just was just like, oh, wow, there's this, this vast unexplored expanse here for one thing. And then the other thing is I wound up getting to work with some really, really cool companies and I never would have been on their radar if it weren't for that. So getting to work with, you know, companies like MailChimp or WordPress or uh, Crazy Egg and things like that, you know, I, I just, if I had just kind of been another dude who's into user experience, I just wouldn't have had those opportunities, period. Was was there kind of a point where you you realized you were getting known for this and and you decided to own it in a bigger way? Because it sounds like you got in just by degrees, right? A little bit at a time. You did the first couple teardowns. You got a response that fueled the book. So I'm just curious if there's a part where you said, "I'm I'm all in." Yeah, I, I would say that happened probably pretty early. I okay. I did the first couple teardowns, and I picked up like, oh, the the signal 
to noise ratio here is like user onboarding. That's the thing that people are looking for. And that's what I, you know, when I decided to write the book on it and things along those lines, I, I was like, I'm just going to go out and read everything that there is on user onboarding. And that took me like a half an hour because there were like three articles and that was kind of the extent of it. And I was really surprised that there wasn't a, a, a user onboarding guy, so to speak, or, or woman. Um, uh-huh. and, it, it, and I was like, man, there's, it's just, it's just wide open right now. And it's something that people are, are finding to be really valuable. It's not like this esoteric thing that I have to, you know, convince people matters, but there's just nobody who's saying like, okay, well, I'm going to, to dedicate myself to this and be the authority on this. And uh, I was able to just kind of walk right into it. So it was definitely um, identifying what you'd call like a blue ocean kind of uh, market opportunity. And and it was something that really resonated with me and that I found really enjoyable. And it was just kind of a a great confluence of events that way. Sounds like it. Have um, So what was it like looking at that niche from the outside versus being inside of it? You said you've gotten opportunities and there's this sort of depth of the subject matter that you weren't aware of before. Um, I would say that it's really liberating to, to pick something so constrained to focus your attention on that once you, you know, cause there was a time in my life where I was like, maybe what I want to talk about is customer success or maybe what I want to talk about is user experience design, or maybe it's like growth hacking or other, you know, less right. contentious terms. Yeah. And, it, it was it was really hard. I mean, it's kind of again going back to that metaphor of the suitcase and the handle. Like there are all kinds of different things that I wanted to discuss and explore, but until you kind of find a name tag for it, it's it's really hard to get people to to pay attention. And so it really hasn't limited me in any way. It's just um, amplified the message that I've been looking to convey more than anything. So now that you sort of own this this niche. Uh... What is it like? I mean, are you as busy as you want to be as a consultant or, you know, what what does it look like from that perspective? Yeah, definitely as busy as I want to be from a consulting standpoint. Um, It's also nice to have the the book revenue still coming in. I mean, that that's essentially to, you know, even to this day is basically what my salary used to be. Mm -hmm. So having that that I guess what you'd call like passive or recurring Revenue right. from that has been really helpful, and so the consulting work is is just icing on the cake from there. And it's it's given me an opportunity to uh, speak uh, around the world, and and you know it's it's been it's definitely been a transformative experience overall for sure. Wow. So, what do you do to market yourself these days? Is it still primarily uh, adding new teardowns to useronboarding.com, or is it you know have you kind of expanded beyond that? Yeah. Oh, just as a heads up, useronboarding.com was taken when I went to set up my site. Uh, so I've got useronboard.com and oh, now apologies. useronboarding has been sold to someone else. And it's like this nightmarish, uh, scammy, hijacking submit button uh, workflow thing. So, oh, man. Um, yeah, I would, I would advise people not to go there just because it's it, it's it will take over your browser. So, um, so that the correct site is useronboard.com. Dot com. <laughs> yes, that's the one that will not put a virus on your computer. Um, uh, so, uh, so, the, so, so back to how you market yourself. Um, is is that still the primary way that you do it, or have you added other ways of marketing yourself? 
That's that is one hundred percent of what I do. It's it's really just very meat and potatoes in that way. I, I don't do anything like retargeting or Facebook ads or you know I'll, I'll I will jump on podcasts or or speak at conferences and things mm-hmm. like that. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's really just almost embarrassingly rudimentary. Well, I I think it's wonderful because that kind of singular focus. Uh, I know for a lot of people, especially you know people like yourself who are more intelligent and creative, it's just hard to maintain that kind of focus. It has, and I'm curious whether that's been a challenge for you, whether you kind of get distracted with the shiny object syndrome, like, you know, like a lot of us do. You know, I was, I was speaking to someone about this recently where I was talking about how I sort of lucked into finding something that I can do for free mm-hmm. that people seem to value and enjoy. And the important part isn't that it's, or the important part, the important part of it being free isn't that it's like good for audience building or PR or whatever that might be. I think it's really important to find something that you can do for free because it means that you're doing it for the love of it and mm-hmm. you're not doing it just for the pay or just because there you perceive there to be some sort of ROI in it or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, I would keep doing teardowns even if they weren't really working well, um, just because it is something that I find interesting and it entertains me and it's, it's a joy to share with others. And so, um, yeah, I think in the same way that you look at people like, you know, in the case with your podcast, like it's, it's pretty clear you enjoy talking to people and kind of hearing about their stories and things like that. And, it's it's really something to me that's just that just comes very naturally and mm-hmm. and something that I just really enjoy. Yeah, your um, most recent teardown of the Ashley Madison onboarding process was just so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was quite quite an experience. Uh, I, I mean, regardless of uh, whether any of my listeners intend to have an affair, I would encourage them to check out that uh, that onboarding just because it, it, it. I think it's a great example of the kind of thing you're talking about where clearly you have a sense of humor about the parts of it that are funny. And, uh, I don't know if you consider it, you know, in among your best work, but I think it's really good stuff. Well, thank you very much. Um, so do you, I mean, do you ever talk to other people who are in the, you know, design or development, uh, profession about focusing their business. I'm curious, you know, if this is just something you found that works for yourself or if you've kind of become an advocate of having a narrow focus. Um, I would say that identifying something that you can do that most other people can't or aren't interested in doing Mm -hmm. and using that as a way to be helpful to the general public as an act of service results in a lot of wonderful things. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that someone just pick a niche because they heard that that works. Because mm-hmm. if you're not doing it from a place of of love and generosity, as hippy-dippy as that might sound, you're probably going to burn out on it really quickly and it's probably not going to really work very well. Um, but if it's something that you find that you're just really passionate about and that can be the gift that you share with the world, then a lot of things that people strive for in business as far as audience building and revenue and consulting opportunities and so on and so forth will, will follow from that. That's fantastic. Samuel, how can listeners find out more about you? Uh, yeah. As, as mentioned before, pretty much everything flows through useronboard.com. Um, also on Twitter at user onboard and, and things along those lines, but that, that would definitely be the recommended starting place. 
Well, thanks for your insight. Thanks for sharing your story and, and just uh, thanks for your openness. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for, for caring. That's it for this episode of the Consulting Pipeline podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Samuel Hullick. You can find Samuel online at useronboard.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at consultingpipelinepodcast.com. I'm Philip Morgan, and I hope to see you again next time.